Extra Space came in and merged with Life Storage for a record $12.7 billion. The big boys have a big problem. If you're trying to grow double digit in one year, that means you have to buy four to five billion dollars of real estate. So even a billion dollars to these guys doesn't really move the needle. That's a big problem. Welcome everybody to self storage income and what a crazy week it has been in the self storage world. Little bonkers, man. Yeah. Big things happening. Things are moving. Um, I'm excited to dive into this because I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of takeaways from this at a macro level, uh, things that owners, operators, and, you know, private individuals should be thinking about investors should be thinking about. And, uh, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm blown away by it, man. We were just talking before the podcast. It's just, it is totally mind blowing to, to see these big moves being made. Yeah. So it's, uh, in a world right now where acquisitions are down, we're not seeing numbers like we used to. And the REITs have been posting uh, their guidance for lower acquisitions to have uh, a really big one like this. I think it tells us a lot about the environment. It tells us a lot about self-storage, where it's at. And it's really interesting to see how Extra Space views the merger with Life Storage. And uh, a, a little drama with Life Storage, seeing how uh, public storage also was uh, trying to get in on this. In fact, uh, that's uh, one of the reasons that this whole thing started. So to kick it off, I mean, kind of give them a rundown of what just happened for those that may not not have known. Yeah, so just to catch everybody up, what we're talking about is this merger between Life Storage and Extra Space. Extra, Extra Space came in and merged with Life Storage for a record $12.7 billion, uh, which, again, what was that? Triple, quadruple? I mean, yeah, it, it's largest, largest largest ever. By far. Right? Um, and, and you said something, too. It really paints the picture as far as where Extra Space believes. You said it where storage is at. But I think it also really paints a clear picture of where self-storage is going and really helps kind of paint the picture for that. But just to catch everybody up, that's exactly what we're talking about in today's podcast. Really want to dive into it because, again, there's a huge trickle-down effect. Um, I mean, we've been talking about market consolidation for years. And, I mean, yeah. you and the partners and investors and everybody have been looking at the market consolidation for a long time. And these moves, man, I mean, when you look at how much square footage – and in in units and facilities and in just the, the sheer market share that these yeah. companies that these REITs and public companies are coming in and being able to to obtain and secure um it, <clears throat> i think you're on on the hitting it on the, the the nail on the head when you've talked in the past about that consolidation people used to think it was going to happen in in what 20 years yeah. 30 years over or this longer span of time but then you have these massive acquisitions happening and mergers happening that uh, I think is really going to start speeding it up. And it just further solidifies that self-storage is the investment asset class to move yeah. into. And, you know, a lot of people view consolidation and it, I think they have it wrong, meaning that they'll see moves like this and they say, okay, but that's big Wall Street type stuff, right? That's not affecting me or my market that I'm in. And, but what you see when you see this is you see the tail end of consolidation, meaning that 
what was going on is this is the life cycle of consolidation. You have uh, mom and pops that get bought up by bigger firms, usually mid-size people. And the primary driver of the capital that has been driven into the self-storage market, particularly in the last five years, is from something we call a roll-up, meaning they're buying assets and together those assets are worth more than they were apart. So they're taking advantage of portfolio value in the business world. It's a roll-up, real estate, we look at portfolio value, and it is the spread between what you acquire individually and what it's worth in a portfolio. And that spread can be something 200 basis points on a cap rate. So, all right, you're purchasing them at a seven and you can sell them at a five. And at size, that is huge, right? So you had a lot of people coming in to do that. And so what that what what you saw was the mom and pop started selling out to mid-size, smaller people that were putting together 10 facilities. And they were selling to mid-size guys that had 150 facilities. And then the 150 facility person was selling to life storage. And then life storage gets eaten up by extra space. Mm -hmm. So the news here that you see is the tail end of this cycle, right? Really good point. You, you see that lower end of that consolidation happening it's very fragmented. So you don't hear about it as much. It's not like a, a, a big news thing, right? Because yeah. it's it's one off and the players that are doing it, yes, we have REITs that are buying up all the time, right? So the REITs are going out and they're spending a uh, hundred and 200 mil, or million, right? To buy up. But when you have something like this, what does that tell big money that says, oh, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna buy 300 stores. I wanna build a thousand stores right? Well, you now have an exit. Somebody's going to pay you 10, 20 billion to do that, right? Mm -hmm. So it's this whole next transactional layer that's really being embedded. And it also shows us something else. The big boys have a big problem, a really, really big problem. Right now, you have a company like public storage, extra space, 40 to $50 billion in value. If you're trying to grow, easy math, right? Let's talk double digit. I want to grow double digit um, in one year. That means you have to buy four to $5 billion of real estate. Well, they only purchase, you're talking 100 to 500 million, right? A year. Normally, that's like an average acquisition. So even a billion dollars to these guys doesn't really move the needle. That's a big problem. How do you grow and how do you keep up? And, you know, how do you make those moves? Well, it's it's, it's moves like this. But their appetite, too, for size uh, becomes even more important. Think about how transactionally, when you're a $50 billion company buying a $5 million facility. How many of those do you have to get to to hit 3% growth rate, mm -hmm. right? That is so inefficient to think that you can just go buy all of those up. Now, now you have to, you need mid-size op operators. You need to be buying them in bigger chunks. It's, it's more efficient. It reduces cost. Um, there's all these pros to it. So the bigger that they get, the more appetite they have for middle. 
and the more appetite the middle has for the bottom. It is an accelerating process. The top is driving money into the bottom to have an exit up to the top. Um, it fuels it. It's titles like this. I remember when in storage, we had a billion dollar acquisition take place not that long ago. And it was like jaw dropping, right? It was <laughs> crazy. Page news. And normally it was like a hundred million was huge. That was a big deal. That was not that long ago. So when you look what happened, when you started seeing these big numbers pop out, you got a lot of different eyes that started to look at the industry and institutional players start looking at our industry differently. And that's ignites this fire from the bottom up that just runs straight up. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing that in the numbers. So if yeah, you that's why valuations went crazy, right? Crazy. You know, I mean, exactly. 2022 timeframe. The appetite yeah. when you're looking at a 200 basis point spread on these facilities and you're doing a roll-up model and that could be scary. I talked to large operators that that's how they justified everything. It'll be worth mm. more than when we, when we sell it. And that is a horrible way to invest. Mm -hmm. um, that is a really scary thing when you hear people uh, saying that. That brings me back to 2006 with houses. Uh, so <laughs> they never go down. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> I do not like hearing that kind of stuff and that decision making, which a yeah. lot of that now is gone. <laughs> so right now where we're at in the cycle, which we've been talking about for a little while, but that's not what we're talking about here. So let me break down kind of self-storage industry as far as market share goes. The five biggest firms now control 34% of the market. When I got in, all institutionals was like 9% or something like that. Yeah, I was going to say probably closer to 10. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's not insane. long ago. We're talking literally this change being from after 2008. Now, when you look at non-REIT institutional quality properties, that today only makes up about 40% of the market. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, even even just a few years ago, I remember I remember that ratio being, you know, like close to 70%. Yeah. That's, that's it's wild. it's really really consolidating. So, if I'm a REIT and now only 40% of the properties that are non-REIT but they're institutional quality properties um are left, uh, you know, good good and bad things. First of all, really good things from doing mid-size. This creates a very vibrant middle market. Uh, for me, that's great. That's the world that I play in, right? Now, for people starting out, that too is also great because what it creates is mid-market appetite. That is something we've seen explode. Now, this lower mid-tier new players, um, we saw a lot of really dumb decisions being made over the last three years. Um, a lot of people, a huge chunk of this middle market did not exist in storage four years ago. They've never seen a contraction. They never saw it going down. They had insatiable appetite for assets on the books. They wanted to show their investors they were growing. They needed to put capital to work. They looked at an exit always. And so more was better and grow at almost any cost. And that's what created this huge leveling in cap rates, which meant that almost any market anywhere, your asset was worth a five cap. There's too much money in the economy, too much appetite from investors. And we had this 
crazy situation where COVID drove up occupancies to like 96%. That's, uh, we're coming off that, coming back down to earth. We talk about the self-storage bubble a lot, um, but these mid-sized players, they still have to buy. So now what we're seeing is pickier groups. So they're buying. So if you, to, in today's market, if you have an 85,000 square foot facility and you're in a first tier market, and a good market, you, like you've seen probably very little change in valuation. If you're in a fifth or sixth tier market in middle America and you have a 30,000 square foot facility, wow, your life changed in mm -hmm. a year. And that is how it works. I had an operator that has uh, hundreds of millions of assets at the time in a short period of time. Uh, tell me, he said, the thing that you old guys don't understand is that markets in these, uh, cap rates in these small markets are never going to go up again meaning they would always be suppressed. They were always going to be low and they were going to trade it. That's not how it works. And the reason why that's not how it works is because you're talking about the capital that is chasing it, who it is. That's why it's important, this number that we look at non-REIT institutional quality properties. That is why my firm, we left that market that was these sub-markets, these smaller facilities, um, after being in that market for about five years, and we moved to a market where it had to be of institutional quality for us to buy it. Meaning if we wanted to buy it, I needed to know that an institution would gobble it up because for me, it was a protection. We didn't have any plans of selling it, mm -hmm. but the value protection is what I was talking about. Well, I that think if we're buyers, I mean, and if we're looking back at history, because that's, that's always, you know, a good thing, right? Is there a time that a small town fared better than a larger, more stable, secure town? I, I mean, think it depends on how you quantify it. So I think one thing that they, if 2008 is actually a really great way to look at this. The yeah, reason yeah. being is in 2008, occupancy and revenues fared really well in a lot of teeny cities. Mm. And this is why I'm like, it's a great place to start and you should buy. Um, because you're buying on cash flow, but that's mm -hmm. the ticket. It's, it's you're not like, oh, I'm buying a fifteen thousand square foot facility in a town that has five thousand people because it's going to be part of a big roll up. Mm -hmm. That's not a good strategy, <laughs> right? It should be understanding. I'm buying on cash flow. I want to buy a secure asset right, has right. great cash flow margins. I'm going to get a great return, and I can build something from it, right? That's mm -hmm. literally what we did. That's why we did it. Facilities and teeny markets, great cash flow, and that allowed us to create what I want to create. Now, when you're looking though at the opposite end, did it have wealth creation? The markets that we originally had, some of those markets I can go back in today, and those facilities are maybe worth 20% more than when we bought them like 15 years ago, hmm. right? Because rent rates in those markets have not massively gone up right right whereas in other markets that's they've increased you know three or four times so it's a different type of game you play mm -hmm. and it's not that it's bad it's not that it's good but what really got hit in those markets are cap rates mm -hmm. that's where those never fare is good because money sucks out so mm -hmm. when you're looking at a valuation not on cash flow that's where my head was at. yes you know exactly. talking cap rates i'm like that they that never ever? fare as well yeah Makes sense. And not that, I mean, I've obviously ever seen. And the major driving force between that is the landscape of uh, the capital markets. 
So banking and things like that, they're not going to do leverage and they're not going to view those assets as quality like the mm -hmm. other markets. So they're a lot less willing to lend to them and uh, people are less willing to buy. So the demand from the buyers leaves. So it's an interesting in those small markets where in 2008, in a market like you know, Reno or Boise or Phoenix, we saw way bigger hit to revenue and vacancies. So on a cash flow, right, they were, they were hit really, really bad. Whereas if you went to a rural town in Idaho, commodities were really high during that time. And so they actually didn't get hit. Kind of a weird thing. Yeah, that's but nobody was buying them. Right, so right. <laughs> we went to a town to buy it and we were the only buyers. So we got to kind of write yeah, our own ticket. That can be great. So yeah. yeah. Um, but let's jump back to this. So one, when we're talking about this and we're looking at it, I got a few few things we I want to go over. Um, right now, so let's set the stage for this. Public storage had offered to acquire life storage late last year, but it was that was rejected. Okay. Then life storage started um, looking for options. And I believe what had happened was life storage knew they were going to get taken over. They knew it was going to be a hostile takeover. This wasn't going to end. And so I think life storage started to say, how can we survive? How can we get through this? And we want to be in control of it. That led to the um, merger with extra space. Now, how does that differ? Let's go down to the merger itself. The merger itself, when we're looking at it, is broken up like this. Extra space um, has a deal price of around $145 a share. Okay, That's 11 it was 11% higher than the price that it was closed. Uh, the, the stock was closing at the announcement, but extra spare, uh, extra space shareholders would own 65% of the company. Life storage would retain 35% of the company. And uh, that would create now the biggest storage company in the world, which included 35,000 location, uh, 3,500 locations and 264 million square feet uh that's a the deal increases extra spaces portfolio by over 50 percent it's expected that this will generate a hundred million in savings and increased uh revenue potential so this is a massive massive deal and the thing that you know we were mentioning and talking about here before is what it says to the rest of the market operationally, not even so much in consolidation, but extra space said a few things that were obviously a really good insight and tell to the industry where they said, even at their size, size matters. In storage, it matters. So you do get a lot of economies of scale in storage. Uh, but even more so than that, for me, that's not it size matters when you're talking about tech and extra space i have always thought of as more of a tech company than a real estate company because of how it manages storage when you look at public storage it was a traditional storage company no debt great properties great cash flow good locations good property managers and a long long history to get there and that has dominated their culture, very real estate driven, right? Just real estate fundamental company. Um, extra space came out, 
And Charlie Kirk really did not look at storage in the real estate terms, but in the operational terms, how we look at a storage as opposed to the real estate, but the operational terms. And he used technology to do things that would make them operationally perform so much higher they could acquire, turn them around, and that gave birth to the extra space success, right? Well, when we're dealing with things like customer acquisition, dynamic pricing, revenue management, um, uh, the property management systems and running, operating, um, all those kind of things, data and database matter a lot. And that can really affect how you operate and run that revenue and that customer end. And you can really increase your output. The more data you have, the bigger you are to get much, much better results. That to me is interesting because as of right now, Extra Space has the largest self-storage database in the world bar none, but they know how to use it. It's not the same as public storage. Extra Space knows how to use their data mm. and they can apply it. And that is going to be the thing that is, I think, most overlooked right now with this and um, will create a competitive advantage that I think a lot of people don't fully understand yet including me, um, you know, we're, we're waiting to see it. Uh, this is the reason we started Store Local. This is why we have Tenant Inc. A lot of people said, oh, you started up a property management system. You guys started up a co-op, right? It was like, that we, we did it because of this fundamental understanding. Extra Space could do what Extra Space did because of size, access to data, and ability to apply. We look at it the exact same way, but instead of Extra Space having to own it all, we knew we could get the same results through shared right, systems, but that created a system that we needed to have an open base that we could utilize it off of, which didn't exist in the market from a property management standpoint. So that's why Tenant Inc. came in. But we wanted to get the economies of scale and that size similar to, I mean, obviously nothing like extra space or anything else, but we wanted to be able to play <clears throat> instead of having 20 six facilities, we wanted to act like we had four or 500. And we have been working for a decade plus to try to get to that point. We're, we're getting much, much closer, nowhere near where we want to be, but we definitely act and operate not like the size we are. And we can do that because of those tools. The great thing is anybody can do it. Um, and you need to now. This And this mm -hmm. is what that shows. It is a testament to what we were saying, you know, 10, 15 years ago that this technology will drives consolidation okay mm -hmm. and your inability to utilize it in self storage will create a performance gap that might not be felt then it might take a little while to fill but eventually it will be so big it will be unable to ignore and we've seen this happen particularly in the hotel space and a lot of people in self storage said no locations the only thing matters operations, they, they viewed it from a real estate standpoint. And I think now over the last five years, people have woken up and said, no, that's that's not- Game's changing. Game's changing. And that's been a hard conversation to have for the last 15 years in storage, because mm. people thought, oh, that's crazy. It's, you know, that's nothing. And that's in a time when extra space wasn't really relevant. And look at them today. 
And this is the driving factor. And I think this is a testament to that type of business model, the same one that we subscribe to, the same one that we believe in, the same one that we teach on this podcast, that we teach all over. And that that is the play that wins in storage over the long run. And I think it'll continue to be. Now, if you're in a small, teeny town and you think that this doesn't matter, my best performing due to our our overall uh, abilities is in a small town because we have leverage over the market because nobody else does anything like it. So our rental rates per square foot, our occupancies are so far above the marketplace. We're able to perform at a level that we're not extra space or anything else, but we're in a teeny market with that facility. And nobody else is doing the things we are and it shows up in our numbers and occupancies. So you may say, I'm not on Wall Street. I'm in, you know... Pasagula, Mississippi, a town of 3,000 people or whatever, this doesn't matter. Well, it may not matter from an outward standpoint, but it matters to your bank account. Mm-hmm. Well, like you've talked about, man, you, you've got you've to start with the exit in mind, and that consolidation is only going to continue. And I'm glad that you brought that up, too, that, that connection between tech and consolidation, because another, another aspect that tech has done and is doing is it's making assets more attractive to big players and public companies in the REITs that normally wouldn't have been in the past because of the operational inefficiencies of those. But with the technology and automations, the different things coming out, some of those smaller facilities might make sense. Some of those smaller opportunities would that, that they wouldn't have looked at before are now opportunities that they can roll up an entire market in or whatever that looks like. 100%. It's... Um... It's going to continue changing the game. I'm very interested uh, to hear from Extra Space and Life Storage. Anybody have an in there that wants to get, uh, you know, one of the CEOs or something on the podcast here, let me know, because uh, we'd love to be interviewing them at this time and really get the message out on what they think about this. Um, I think it's a big deal. And I think it's a, uh, a bellwether moment. Uh, I think it states a lot about self-storage and where mm-hmm. we're at today. I'd really like to understand their take on what it means for the future. So as we hear more, everybody will be talking to you more about it and what it means and how it affects everybody from the bottom up, whether you're in Pasigula, Mississippi or New York, right? Um, it's it, These things do have a wider effect and uh, it's, it's exciting, right? You know, obviously, you can tell we're excited. We're getting nerded out about this, but uh, really, really cool to see uh, transactions like this taking place. And I think from the bottom up, uh, there may be downsides, of course, to it on the competition side and everything, but to make a more secure market than it has been in the past, hold values, things, th- this is really good for our industry. If you currently own, this is a, a really good thing. Not owning, you may not like it as much because now you have more competition to buy and things like that, but <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> at least you know you have a better exit. So Always going to be the ebbs and flows. It's never exactly. perfect timing, right? 100%. We'll keep you guys updated. Thank you guys for listening. Talk soon. See you next time.